namo narayana om 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 namo Yesterday, I talked a little bit about the uh, four aspects of mind, moon, buddhi, ahankar, chitta. People told me afterwards I got a little confused. Well, one does, you know, when one speaks impromptu. But uh, I wanted to add anyway a couple of very interesting thoughts. That when you, I said that the intellect is centered here at the point between the eyebrows, you'll notice that when you think deeply, you tend to knit your eyebrows, don't you? And the ego is centered in the medulla oblongata. Again, when you feel proud, you notice you see people holding their heads back or looking down their noses at everybody. In Italy, they say, vedere la gente sotto il naso, seeing everybody under the nose. And uh, the, uh, let's take a rock star, for example, who's sort of glorying in his fame. You'll see him tossing his head back and forth. Or if somebody flatters you, feels good. This is where it feels good. This is your seat of ego. The goal of spiritual endeavor is to release that ego and focus it here at the point between the eyebrows. You'll know that you'll notice that in every country, the automatic gesture of respect is a bow. Why? It releases, or is intended to release, tension in the back of the neck and offer it this way. To offer real respect to others is to see God in them. To see God in them is to bring that energy from back here to the positive pole of the same center, which is the point between the eyebrows. That's why yogis say, concentrate at this point. And again, when you feel something deeply, you do feel it in your heart. It's not, uh, uh, you, you find that if somebody's suffering deep disappointment, let us say in love, some lovesick swain, will never say, I have a sore knee. He'll say, I'm heartbroken. It's just that this is where we feel love. When people feel tragedy or whatever, they go like this. It's just a natural and instinctive gesture. It's universal. You don't have to believe it. You just do it. This is how we're made. Well, today I wanted to read a passage from Conversations with Yogananda. An interesting one. The Master told us of a community experiment that a few people had tried. Two ex-members of that community, he said, came to me later. The community itself no longer existed. Things were going along so harmoniously, they lamented. 
And then came an evening when half the community wanted custard for dessert, and the other half wanted tapioca pudding. The disagreement became so emotional that at last the community was disbanded. Why, I inquired, didn't half of you simply have custard and the other half tapioca pudding? Oh, they exclaimed in surprise, we didn't think of that. Artificial principles, in this case, an a priori commitment to consensus, never work. A community must accept the diversity of human nature. Room must always be left for compromise. Rigidity, like a dry twig, is fragile and easily broken. Under stress, it will simply snap. In a community, we need to understand that people are people. This is one of our principles at our Ananda communities. People are more important than things. People are more important than projects. Somebody asked me recently if I didn't think it would be good for two people to work on a project that I had suggested. And I was reluctant at first because basically I only want to give people jobs that will help them, not just help the job. They were both fitted for the job. I wanted to help them, too. As I thought about it, I thought maybe that would be a good idea. But people are the important criterion, that which helps people. Many times we have put people in a job that will not be, they will not be good for it. This is what my guru did in training us, his disciples. He gave us work for which we were not necessarily adapted. But by doing that, we could grow, we could develop, balance our various natures, various aspects of our nature, and come to that overall perfection which he envisioned for us. I think the reason he had me teaching was simply to overcome qualities in myself, as I've mentioned. Doubts, for example. Well, these are necessary. He didn't put his highest disciples, Rajashi, Sister Ganamata, he didn't put them in teaching. I used to wonder why not. They'd be much better teachers instead of a young 22-year-old boy, which is how he had me. Why, I wondered. Then I saw that we were the ones who needed it. They didn't need it. And so in any work with people, especially if you have a community, and this is how, because I have been urging you to think in terms of joining together and forming communities, this is what he used to talk about with great vigor in his public talks. He would just declaim on the importance of thousands of youths getting together, forming these communities, world brotherhood communities, as he called them. But it's very important to understand that you must give people a chance to be themselves. They're not all the same. One thing that people tend to believe is that in a community, everybody has to walk in lockstep togetherness with everybody else. In fact, it's wonderful to allow them to be eccentric. I noticed that Master didn't mind at all. Some of his disciples were quite eccentric, quite different, and yet he accepted them as they were and helped them to grow. There was one disciple who, he used to speak of him as like a mouthful of hot molasses, too sticky to spit out and too hot to swallow. And yet of this same disciple, he said he will be liberated in this life. <coughs> One time I heard him sort of smile wryly. He said, I don't know how, but Divine Mother says so, it must be so. 
This person was very innocent, very sweet, had a very pure heart. One time the master saw him walking on the sands on the beach in Zinis, uh, on the ocean beach, and uh, he saw this great light around him, and he knew that he was a saint, but disguised in a certain amount of oddity. He was a very peculiar fellow, but a delightful fellow. He had us sometimes in stitches with his sense of humor. Everybody is so charming to let people be themselves. I used not to be like that. I used to think that people ought to be just like this. And so often we sort of place false values on other people. They ought to be like this. They ought to decide that they like tapioca pudding or custard and that they all can work together. Why bother about little things like that? When you have a community, we'll have a lot of egos. But what you'll notice is that if you work with these communities, mind you, leadership is very important. Because leadership, if it's true, is not bossiness. It's easy to boss people. It's very difficult to lead them. And what you need to do if you start a community is be a leader. And the leader tries to draw people along with him. Well, in that sense, you have to play with them sort of like a fisherman. Let the fish go for a while and pull him back, then let him go for a while and pull him back. Gradually, the fish becomes tired. And a small man sometimes has been able to land a very big fish when he's gone deep sea fishing. Now, personally, I'm, not, uh, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't even eat fish. But I do understand that principle. It's the way with people. You're not trying to hook them against their will. You're not trying to land them so you can eat them. But you are trying to help them to find something that most of them resist. What is that? <laughs> their, own, your, their own happiness. You must be, as a leader, of the mentality where you find your happiness in their happiness. When they can do that which finally brings them out of the skies of grumbling, negative thinking, sort of what's in it for me kind of attitude, into suddenly thinking, what's in it for everybody? I get letters from some of our people, and uh, they're long, long letters, always about themselves. Well, I don't scold them for it, but I wait. And how happy I am when I see finally they break through that dense fog and suddenly start thinking about what's, what's right, what's good, what's good for everybody. They don't think about themselves. I've seen one of the things in the communities is that those people are happiest who don't think, I, 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 I want, I want, I want. They think in terms of, what does everybody want? Let everybody be himself. Enjoy that variety. It's what makes life more interesting. What would it be like if everybody in this world were a streetcar conductor? Not only the fact that there aren't enough jobs for streetcar conductors only, it's the fact that that mentality would be so boring. Somebody just goes on a single track. Why not let people be as they are? This is one of the charms I noticed in my great guru's life that, well, there was one woman there. She was a bit of a um, evangelist type. She was a visitor. 
but someone to whom my Guruji had been giving a lot of honor because she was also a very spiritual person. But one time uh, he invited her to give a speech at a big banquet. And she got everybody up marching around, singing some song. It wasn't quite as blatant as onward Christian soldiers, but that kind of idea. And I was sort of squirming in embarrassment. But I noticed that my guru and Rajashi, his chief disciple, looked at each other with a very indulgent smile and sort of with total respect for her, but <laughs> chuckling. I mean, it was pretty silly, and yet they didn't mind it. They let everybody be themselves. Master was like that. He let people be themselves. Now, if you want to work well with other people, you have to learn that uh, to get them to work with you in any way, that is to join hands with you in anything that you do, you have to let them be themselves. They mustn't. This is what human nature tends to try to do, is to lock everybody into a particular thought, into a particular way of doing things, into particular attitudes. Actually, the tapestry of life is so rich for the wonderful variety that we see here. And thus it is that uh, when you can learn to work people with people as they are, you'll find they work with you. And that it's incredible how much just a handful of people can accomplish. There's a song we're going to sing in a little bit called Many Hands Make a Miracle. Let's all join hands together. Actually, there are two kinds of miracles, I mean two kinds of ways of doing miracles. When a saint performs a miracle, he does that too. You see, he has all these, these strands of power that you could imagine as being also epitomized in society, but he, they're all in himself. His own tendencies, he's got them together. And as a great saint in Christianity who lived Ten, uh, lived ten centuries ago, a thousand years ago, but they, for some reason, still call him St. Simeon, the new theologian. That was the name he was given then, and they still call him that. But uh, he said that when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, he said this also and particularly means when two or three thoughts are focused. If you could take the thoughts and different strands of energy and so on in your own nature and focus them, you'd be amazed at the kinds of miracles that you can perform. My Guruji performed them effortlessly. And how many miracles of healing he did, how many miracles of uh, um, all kinds, things somehow in his presence just happened. There was an interesting story, basically because of the way he did it. There was a, it was a story told by Dr. Lewis of a man who everybody felt had been condemned unjustly to death, to electrocution on the electric chair. And everybody was upset, but it depended on the governor to give a reprieve. And Dr. Lewis told my Guruji, our Guruji, uh, about this. And he, Guruji looked very serious for a while, just sort of withdrew into himself. 
Then he came out of that with a great smile. And the next day it was announced that the governor had given a reprieve at the last moment and the man's life had been spared. Now, my guru didn't say I did it, but somehow around him, when he closed his eyes and prayed, for example, when he came out of that with a smile, once you'd lived with him for a while, you began to understand there was something happening. He made things go right. One time, there was a, a disciple of his who was, she was dying of cancer, and she went to a clinic that pretended to cure people of cancer, but all they really did was give them water and take their money and wait for them to die. When Master heard about that, he said, Divine Mother, destroy that place. And within a month, the police had come in. All those people went to prison. But his word had power. But the reason it had power is simply just what I said. He brought all those strands of consciousness together so that when he concentrated, his energy was one-pointed. Well, a group of people can do that. That's why this song, Many Hands Make a Miracle, because when many people work also harmoniously together, look what India accomplished under Mahatma Gandhi's guidance in freeing itself from India. They had the guns, but you had the heart. And when those hearts were united in a single cause, look what happened. Everybody said it was impossible, but it worked. Mahatma Gandhi went to the King of England dressed in a dhoti. Looked like a beggar by English standards. But the power of that love and ahimsa was there. This is what I'm talking about. And this is what we mean when we sing this song, Many Hands Make a Miracle. Joy to you. Many hands make a miracle Let's all join hands together Life on earth is so wonderful When people laugh and dance And struggle as friends And all their dreams achieve their ends Many hands make a miracle People climbing together Our hands to welcome us.